I'm Kevin Henshaw, and you're listening to the Golden Mike Podcast. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Water Sports' biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. We're coming at you from Orlando, Florida, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. This audio podcast is based off the lake life, my passion for toad water sports, and the athletes who have helped sculpt the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, I'm chatting it up with the industry's top names, past and present, the riders, and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, Woodrow's, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards SUP, SeaDeck Marine Products, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who help me make this show happen. If you haven't subscribed to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes, please do, and don't forget to rate and review the show. Follow me on Instagram at Dano T Mano, D-A-N-O-T-M-A-N-O, and on Twitter at the Dano T Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. This episode was recorded on location at Area 52. I'm not talking government secrets and aliens. I'm talking about the wakeboard haven that Liquid Force team rider Kevin Henshaw has built in the backwoods of Claremont, Florida. My guest is Kevin Henshaw himself who is gracious enough to take time off from building features and rails to sit down and discuss all kinds of fun things about Area 52, where he's at as an athlete, the future of the sport, and much more. Henny's an old friend, and we were actually neighbors 10 years or more ago when he first moved to Florida. I've got to hand it to Kevin. He's always had a passion and drive in our sport to push the limits of rail and now park riding. He's given back to the community by hosting dozens of riders in his home, a.k.a. Hotel Henny, and now uses his Area 52 as a place athletes can come, build, and ride their dreams. It was my first time out at Henshaw's property, and I can tell you it was pretty inspiring to see what hard work and a big dream can get you. Let's hear from one of my great sponsors, and we'll be right back with Kevin Henshaw here on the Golden Mike Podcast. SeaDeck is the leading manufacturer of a range of comfortable and durable EVA non-skid products for the marine industry. Working with the manufacturing leaders in towed water sports boats, SeaDeck has redefined non-skid flooring. No more stinky carpet or hard rubber mats. 
Z-Deck provide exceptional non-skid, a luxurious feel, and because it can be customized to your specification, a unique look that will set your boat apart from the crowd. For a more in-depth look and for more information, visit SeaDeck.com and you have the perfect addition to your boat. Yeah, Henny, thanks for thanks for having me out here. Yeah, man, I'm glad you came out. That's right, dude. Well, we're here somewhere inside or just outside of Claremont, Florida with Kevin Henshaw at his home base, a little wakeboarder's paradise, a two-tower setup, mind-blowing features, water, pretty much a dream spot for many or, or any in the world of wake. Referred to as Area 52, well, it's my first time here, and I must say, my friend, I am blown away. Thank you, thank you. You've done well for yourself. So, I, I've had an opportunity to take a look, take it in myself, but will you do me a favor and just describe, describe what we're looking at here to the listeners? Well, this is uh, Area 52. It's my personal wake park, and I've been planning on this for a really long time and finally made it a dream of mine, but it took a lot of work to get to where I'm at right now with it. Uh, how did you do this? I mean, I'm, I'm looking out here. There's, there's, we're in the middle of the woods. There's uh, two pools, two ponds here, one a little bit elevated, uh, another pond down low. Everybody listening, I'm sure, has seen this in, in one way or another, whether it's through web edits or uh, your cover of, of Alliance Wake magazine. So many photos have come out of here over the last, I don't know, I'd say 18 months or so. How did you do this, Kenny? Uh, I don't know. I just had uh, a dream of having my own place where I could build whatever I want and do whatever I want. And I just it took me three years to find the piece, the right piece of property that was cheap enough and look doable enough to clear the land and dig my own lake and talk to my dad. And I've been around construction my whole life and he grew up doing that. So me and him together, we just said, let's try it. And we went for it. You dug this hole though, right? Yeah. I cleared this whole land and dug the hole and used the sand to put the upper pool there. And it's, it's an audio podcast. So it's, sometimes it's hard, you know, for people to take in exactly maybe where we're at. And a lot of times we, we record these, at my house inside the mini mansion inside our little studio there but we are remote right now and literally we are in the middle of the woods it took me over almost a full hour to get here from orlando yeah it's a little out of the way but i like it that way that way not too many people come out here how <laughs> how exactly did you find this place and when you and when you did find this place i mean it was it was wooded there was no water here so you knew you had to dig a lake yeah there was nothing here there was just trees you could barely even walk five feet from the road there and to be able to come in here and clear the land and end up like this, it's a dream. Okay, so how long did it take before, uh, between the time you purchased the place, the land, the property, until the first time you were actually on the water? Uh, it was actually just over a year, almost exactly a year. And I'm assuming there was a lot of help from a lot of the wakeboard community. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, like between all my friends here coming out and especially the Claremont crew, like, um, you know, we had everybody come out and help run machines and whatnot, but Monster and Liquid Force had a huge hand in helping me fund this place and get it going. But were you commissioning, like, workers from Home Depot, or, or, were, <laughs> or were all your workers wakeboard people? No, everybody was, uh, you know, there was a few wakeboarders, but uh, my buddy Mike from back home, who I grew up working with before I started wakeboarding, and my best friend Tyson came down and, they helped me. Mike was here for like six months, actually probably nine months, and we cleared the land, and just me and him basically for 
six months and my dad came down for a couple of weeks with Tyson and we dug the lake and shaped the upper pool and it was a pretty big experience. Everybody thought I was pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, we, we've kind of thought that for a long t- time about <laughs> you, but, uh, yeah, when, when, when I heard about the undertaking going on over here, man, I thought it was pretty insane, but I got to give you two thumbs up, man. You've done an, an amazing job and you've semi been rewarded handsomely because I already mentioned it, but the media that's come out of this place over the last 18 months or so seems to be really, really good. You've got some of the best riders in the world who have come here and, you know, from all over the world, guys like Daniel Grant, Raptor Rome, uh, Keith Lidberg uh, resurfaced here and, and, you know, made his comeback this summer. You know, the list goes on of all the names who, who come here and ride and get media or maybe just do it for fun, whatever, behind the scenes. But have you had any, like, favorite moments that were documented here so far? I'm actually, like, in the mix of doing a video of from building it to where it is now. Um, that'll be my biggest accomplishment of what I wanted to show everybody the work that's gone into this. But the Looking Forest Elephant Awesome Elephant Awesome movie is out and that was a huge undertaking and also Rafter Ohm's section for X Games. I helped him a lot build all the rails and do things like that. So what is the gnarliest thing that you've seen go down here? And was it done by you? No. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I Raf and Daniel Grant out here are just mind-blowing to watch that's for sure but probably the best thing i've seen though is lidberg doing some stuff out here that... just lidberg making his comeback you know i actually yeah. had lidberg on the podcast uh earlier in, in the year and stuff so it was really cool to hear about him coming back and i since we had him on the podcast it sounds like he had a pretty uh decent year you know i i don't know that he won the fees contest but he went yeah he went he did good he it, it was just good to see lidberg back out riding because he's the one who showed me rail riding when I moved into the projects and pretty much pushed me to do everything and he still does but you know now that he's not riding as much as he was all last year kind of sucks because me and him have a good time out here well and he's good too because he goes to show us guys that are starting to get into our 30s that you can still do it and still crush right yeah I think that was his whole point is just saying everybody like doesn't matter how old you are you can do it and he proved it that kid can still Shred better than a lot of these pro kids. Yeah, you're getting close to that 30 arena, right? Yes, I am. This is coming April. Wow, yeah. And you've got some other big uh, life changes going on as well, right? You finally found the right one? Yeah, getting married next October. Wow, so running a lake, putting together a wedding. Where do you find the time, Henny? I don't. It's a, it's a really hard thing to do to keep both situations happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can just imagine. So, you know, I see a trend with these two tower parks going on. That's in, in Area 52. It's a two-tower system set up here. And, you know, around the country, obviously, Shredtown, there was some big news out of them recently. Uh, I, Mike Yennon's got something up there in, in Washington, right? They've got something going on? Yeah, that uh, Permacation Cable Park. That's actually uh, mine and Mike Yennon's. So you've got another p- park up there. you got Reed Hansen uh, over the border in Groveland. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I know people in Oklahoma, people in Texas who have these two towers. I mean, is this the future of wakeboarding? For sure. There's just so much possibilities with it. You know, like you don't need a $180,000 boat, $200,000 boat. You can literally buy a system for thirty grand and pop it up on any lake there is. Or or pond in your or backyard. Or pond, you know? whatever, yeah. Like how often in your lifetime, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, 
have you been at somebody's house, maybe they're a wakeboard or maybe they're not a wakeboard and you're just look at their backyard and you see a pond, and you're like, that would be perfect. I do it way too often. <laughs> Driving down the road, I see spots and I'm like, man, how do I get a system right there? So, Henny, you weren't always just a rail guy or a park guy. You know, when you first busted on the scene, you were a boat rider and rail riding was still pretty much non-existent. You know, I don't even think that the Pointless movie was out at this time of your career and you're still in probably junior high or, or high school. But I want to find out, like, how did you actually get started into wakeboarding? Um, through some friends back home. Uh, my uh, The lake that I kind of grew up on, the Malibu dealer up there, Rob Parker, he uh, he had a boat and he was always out there doing flips and things like that. And then I really wanted to learn it. And my dad ended up talking to him and he took me out a few times and he thought I was a natural at it and took me to my first contest. And I ended up winning that and then went to nationals that year and won that. And it just all escalated into moving down here. <laughs> now you're, but you grew up in BC, right? Canada. Yep. Vancouver Island, British Columbia. So... Guys like Chad Sharp, I would assume, uh, were uh, was probably already down in Florida. Uh, Jeff here, uh, who who are like some of the guys that you looked up to? Uh, yeah, definitely Chad and Jeff here. Like Jeff here helped me out a lot. He got me my first board, free board, and all that kind of stuff. And told my dad like, hey, if he needs to do it, he's got to move to Florida. Like, come down. He'll hook me up with some people. And I ended up riding with Chad a few times in the D Slough in Vancouver, and got to know those guys. But what really changed it for me is like I was at the Abbotsford Pro Tour and trying to decide what what to do and um, Watson gave me his bib and I was talking to him. Jeff here introduced me to him and everything. And he was like the coolest thing I've ever kind of approached like that, you know. And what well, timeline? What are we talking about? Oh man, it's got to be the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, probably two thousand one. I'd say no. Watson's one of your liquid force monster teammates, right? Yeah. I read an article somewhere that said something about you having like his pictures up all over your wall. I mean you were a you were a huge fan back in the day. So back there in BC you still got the you got the your Watson shrine going? No, definitely not. My, I don't my parents don't even have that house anymore. But I was definitely a huge wakeboard fan kid, right? Like I looked up to Watson and Danny and Parks like like nobody's business like that's all I wanted to do that's all I you know watch movies and my dad thought I was crazy I think you know so uh, who all did you ride with I know that uh the OGC was part of your crew who was the OGC yeah um we just had our little crew in Canada you know like there wasn't very many people at the time and me and Steve McKinley and Jesse Finestone and Hutch and all the boys we just decided to you know, after watching Pointless come out and they had their little posse, we were like, man, we're just like them. You so know? what is the OGC? Uh, OGC is actually the Oyama Ghetto Children. <laughs> we we thought we were hood, for sure. Well, you know. We the, all had big chains and baggy pants. Well, the Pointless posse was kind of like that, too, a little bit, right? You know, they were, they were kind of thug. They played rap music in their movie. Oh, for sure, especially Shane. Yeah, Shane. <laughs> Francois was like the yeah Francois. I think French I think Ruck was the only one that probably was like you guys are ridiculous. Ruck even had the silver chain there for a while. Yeah, he did. But yeah, I guess he was he was he was more hippie even back then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I was going through some contest results of yours from like the early two thousands, and I know that competing 
was a big part of your early career. Do you remember what some of the uh, first grassroots Canadian events that you went to or even some of the first pro events? Um, I know like Wakestock and Canadian Nationals and then U.S. Nationals and stuff. That was, those were my big kind of breakout moments, I'd say. And the Pro Tour, you know, winning the Pro Tour Junior Men's was probably the best thing that happened to me, you know. That's why I still support that kind of stuff, but I just have my own view these days on some things. Here, a lot of folks who follow your career now don't really know this side of you, but when I first met you, you you moved to Florida to be a contest rider yep, and, and a sure. boat contest rider. You know, obviously you kind of mentioned Jeff here giving you that hand, but like, when was it? Like, how old were you? You knew that you were going to make, make this move. You're going to do this. I think it was like 15. I just, you know, just met JD and Derek Grassman and all them through Dave Briscoe, our coach. And it just it came to the point where I, all I wanted to do was be better than them and whoever I was around and, I would ride three, four times a day, and all I wanted to do is win. I don't know. I got that one time, you know, winning provincials in BC. You know, nothing crazy, but getting free stuff and standing on that podium, like there's no better feeling, and it just escalated to, you know, being podium for years to come. And who are some of the guys that you were competing against? Cause some of the guys were some big, big names, and it, and you were young. I mean, 15 years old coming up the ranks. Yeah, especially in Canada, you know, like Aaron Rathy and Steve McKinley and Rusty Malinowski. You know, like when they were all coming up too, we were all competing. We were all head-to-head. Like I remember winning Canadian Nationals one year and Steve getting second and Rusty getting third, you know, like it's crazy how times change, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's insane. Now, you moved to Florida around 2004 is what I'm guessing you and I were neighbors. May have been a little earlier than 04, may have been a little later. I don't know. But uh, you were young when you moved down. Uh, were your parents pretty cool with you coming down to Florida? Um, yeah, my dad was super cool about it. My mom was a little nervous when, you know, we were at Wakestock, how it all happened is Shane was like, hey, you want to move in? You know, I got an extra room. And I was like, what? Shane Bonifay wants me to move into his place? And I just won the junior men's in Wakestock. So he was like, you know, wanted the next kid to come in, and I guess he thought I was kind of cool, I guess, too, or whatever, you know. But, uh, yeah, I just remember my mom dropping me off, and my dad calling me, like, five hours later when they hit Atlanta, and he's like, she's still crying. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a good little crew uh, there on Clear Lake at that time. I was over there at Ruck's house. We had you, Harrington, Shane. And then uh, Clay Fletcher was living over there with... Uh, with our buddy Jimmy I, and, and that was like kind of kitty corner to Shane. I think you guys actually had like a, a floating tube that you could use on a rope to get back to each other's houses from the backyards and stuff, and and the parties. How much riding was actually going down in those days? <laughs> when I first moved in a lot, and then it just went downhill from there, I think. But no, we definitely had a good time. That crew was unreal. That'll be never forgotten with me. Yeah. I've definitely missed the hood a little bit, but... There's a time in life where I had to realize that <laughs> I have to wakeboard sometimes. Yeah, you and it, what's crazy is your path could have gone in many different directions because before you did move to Claremont, I remember you actually had like a deposit down on a house in the hood. Mm-hmm. So, and if that if that was the case, you'd probably still be boat riding a lot more. I would assume. I I guarantee it probably. You know, but I never would have had the opportunity to do this. I don't think. Right. Moving to Claremont kind of separated me from a lot of people and 
you know, riding out at the projects every day with Lidberg and not really riding with the same crew every day expanded my mind and my thoughts and, you know, just not having the same view as everyone is a really good thing. And I think it helped me out. You know, it's gotten me some trouble at some point. Right. But... Yeah, of course, all of us, yeah. I think. I think you've gotten us all in trouble. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just joking. But so, okay, so, so obviously your real riding started to take over a little bit more and more and more. And we started seeing you at less and less of the, the major boat events. So we'll say like Pro Tour. I started announcing the Pro Tour in 2006. And I announced that all the way through 2014. Um, but you only spent a, a couple of years riding pro men's at the pro tour, unless you maybe every now and then would make an appearance, a one-off appearance at the, the event. But why did you, why did you kind of stop coming to the events? Um, I don't know. I just kind of was so into rail riding and traveling across Europe and that it was kind of like, a a hard situation to say I'm going to do all the pro tour but I'm doing really good in rail riding in Europe and all that stuff and I was having more fun traveling and doing that stuff than going to the same contest the same setup and it just got to the point where I was having so much more fun rail riding than boat riding it was like all right and then you know I started doing that more and kind of fell off with Malibu and didn't have a free boat anymore because I was doing rail riding and not boat riding and just crazy how times have changed because now they want you, their riders to do both. And it's like, I started that, you you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was trying to do. That's what I was trying to do, but well, you guys wouldn't let me. But I think everybody gets it now, you know, like all the contests now don't have rails in them for the boat. Like, it's pointless. Why would you have a rail in a boat contest? It's like slope style is parked. Half pipe is behind the boat, you know. like it's Right, right. Well, you know, and I remember, like, when you first started going off, it wasn't that you just fully gave up boat because there was still one-off stuff that you like to do. You like to do double-up contests. And I even remember, you know, when I first started, got started announcing, you were one of the only guys doing that uh, backside 720 off the double-up. <laughs> yeah. And that backside 7 won you some big money in those days, right? Yeah, man. No one was really charging double up too hard and stuff you know like chad was boosting and everybody at parks was doing definitely doing stuff but when it came down to contests i just had that trick on lock and it, it definitely won me a fair bit of change it probably paid for this place for sure <laughs> it's pretty impressive though now that the kids are just doing the back sevens oh just man it's like the... not even a trick anymore well you know jd's got that uh wrapped toe back seven that he does wake to wake and uh steel doing the toe back sevens it's it's just so impressive to see, but uh, then at the same token, the wakes weren't the same for you. Yeah, exactly. It, that's definitely a thing, but we could be doing the same stuff that we're doing now back then, but it just, it's it's all progression, right? Like you can't, you know, if someone's not doing that, you're not going to go try it unless you're, you know, right. willing to do it, but that's where the sport's gone. And, you know, look at, you know, when I won bro stock, I was, it was a back seven and then JD won this year with a, wrap toe back nine like just still grabbed and stalled out it was like it was probably i like to see the progression in the sports good are you still so do you still go to bro stock this year yeah i went this year i was injured so uh i wrecked my ribs i popped my ribs out so i just judged with silas and it was actually kind of cool to sit in the boat and actually have a bro stock where i remember a little bit and right <laughs> yeah well, do you boat ride at all anymore uh i haven't in probably two years Really? Yeah. Actually, I'm, I did this summer. No, I take that back. I did this summer just for some friends at home. They wanted to do it, and it was 
the funniest thing I've ever ever done. I think. Just what uh, what kind of stuff are you doing out there? Just it was taking it back to the basics. Right. Yeah, but it was fun. It, it kind of gave me a little boost, and you know, I've been hanging out with Mossy a lot, and he's really trying to get me to ride again. And I think this year, I'm gonna finish up this whole video thing, and next year I'm gonna start riding boat again. Would you say that you're you're kind of considered like one of the go-to guys as far as building rails and stuff? Yeah, you know, I got that from Pat Panacos, you know. No one else knew how to build rails, and Pat did it, and then he started doing bigger and better things. So I knew how to do it already from my dad and watching Pat, and it's definitely turned into uh, a thing where I think I've made a name for myself and being able to build and create things that a lot of people can't. Sure. Uh, let's take a quick break right here, here from one of the sponsors, and we'll be right back on the Golden Mike Podcast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wood and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrose on Instagram at Woodrose or check them out online at Woodrose.com. That's W-O-O-D. R-O-Z-E dot com. You know, you and I have done a ton of rail jams together over the years, and one that, that sticks out to me is Spring Break 08 uh, in South Padre Island, Texas. Not sure if you if you remember or not. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't. But <laughs> first, first of all, what a cluster of an event it was. Uh, this was the old days of the blow-up inflatable pools. And we were trying to, uh, we were with the Step Up Productions crew, and we still semi-knew it, what, what they were doing, what we were doing there. And we were trying to suck salt water <laughs> with, with those pumps into the pools. So we were supposed to do this rail jam on Saturday all day, Saturday all day, Sunday. And I don't think the pool was even a quarter of the way filled up Saturday afternoon. So it kind of just turned into to a real, a real party for us. But um, tastefully, I was hoping that you could maybe tell what I thought was the best story from the entire uh, the entire trip, which would have to do with our buddy Phil the filmer. Um, should we get into that? Or yeah, I think. Are I you think, talking about Kentucky, the Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket? Yeah, or, well, there's uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets, but I'm I, I was more thinking of the whole uh, big water jug. Oh, the morning after. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty brutal thing. I've actually done it a few more times, <laughs> but yeah, best thing you could do to prank someone which i do way too often i think and i can't believe no one's tried to get me back yet is uh take a water jug and empty it and fill it full of vodka and put it in the fridge and put the cap back on and so he was the first victim and i i you were watching this go down right oh yeah (laughs) our our buddy phil this guy in texas uh you know part of the uh the tbks crew and all that whole gang joey bradley and richie uh and and just the whole entire crew and and we had a big night. What you know, we we weren't able to do the rail jam, so it just turned into a real party. And uh, this was in our early days, I think low low to mid twenties, if. And uh, we took over the karaoke at the hotel. I think uh, you. I think you were in handcuffs at one point. Yeah, I think was it me and you, or who was it? No, that was not. Or me, me and Balzer. Yeah, yeah, we were in handcuffs, and. Yeah, you guys but... tried to get on stage with Hinder. <laughs> yeah, I thought I I thought I was a better. Uh, at, playing the drums and the drummer so yeah 
and then when the when the when they tried to escort you out of there, I think your excuse was that um, you do what you want because you were Canadian, right? Yeah. Well, it, Balzer, that was. I, I'm gonna go ahead and blame some of that on Balzer because me and him together are a really bad, really bad couple to be around for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, but but at the same token, two of the most fun, and and I will never ever forget that trip for. For as much as I should probably forget about that trip, but uh, spring break, was it 08 or was it 07? I think it was 08. That was an unreal trip. I would do that in a heartbeat again. That crew was perfect, and it could have went bad if Geiger wasn't there to pull us out of the cop car, but... Yeah, I I would definitely agree, but you guys got out of trouble, and you came back in, and I think we sang karaoke. I think we set a record. I think it was 18 straight hours of karaoke. Yeah, that was pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. So what are like some of the craziest rail setups that you've seen but not necessarily built? Anything stick out? Definitely Shredtown stuff. Those dudes are so gnarly and give me a lot of inspiration in what I do out here. And But I get a lot of my stuff from snowboarding. Like I watch snowboard videos like they're going out of style. But, you know, Europe, there's definitely a few. It's just hard to hard to find that little, like real gnarly place because no one's going to do, you know, what they can't because of waivers and all that stuff. It's, sure. it's hard to find that place, but I think besides out here and at Shredtown, and you know, like Jimtopia's done some cool stuff and the Bishops are doing cool stuff now and got, you know, Wake the Line's probably one of my favorite events setups though. What about stuff that you've built aside from Area 52? I know that you've done stuff all over the country, you know, all over the world probably you've been a part of. Any, any that really stick out to you? One of my favorites that I'm actually about to rebuild was uh, a rail I did out of the projects for my video, just called Henshaw, the video. And uh, it actually won me uh, web video of the year, I think two years ago. And uh, it's just a big wall with a ledge, but there's so much to do with this thing that, uh, like the landing ramp and everything, that you'll be, you'll be able to see it soon enough. Nice. Nice. Looking forward to that one. What about the, the huge setup at the projects? Uh, you guys built for Defy. Uh, it was it, util- it was kind of like a big sea rail type. Um... Oh yeah, that was definitely uh, an experiment that uh, I wanted to try. You know, no one had started doing the turnaround stuff yet, and I really wanted to be one of the first guys to try that. And I had this in my head, and it worked out pretty good. But definitely, knowing now the things that I do, I would have built it a little differently. But it definitely was fun, and it was good to see what is possible right like there's right. so much to do out there like on turnaround stuff that we haven't even hit yet sure so i mean as as far as it goes that was at this point now that's got to be five five years ago at least right oh man yeah probably five years ago i mean so i really feel old when you say that with <laughs> with, with what you had i mean were you guys pretty happy with what you got out of it yeah for sure you know we were on a bit of a deadline and it would have been nice to build a couple more things for the video but you know, Kilgus had his deadlines and things like that, and we were getting short on a budget, so we just had to kind of put everything we had into that, which was fine with me. You know, it turned out cool, and everybody that I talked to really liked the part, so, you know, you t- you learn, you live and you learn. And I think there were some, some pretty good uh, diggers on that, too. I think, didn't Shane get worked on it? Yeah, Shane, Shane got could have got really worked. Actually, I think Danny caught him, and he was, like, falling to his head, and we ended up having to get hay bales in and building like a back piece to it but i took my shins out and sure. danny could, could shoulder it was it was definitely a learning experience for all of us 
Well, I can't wait to see what the uh, you know what the future of all that the turnaround stuff is because with these two tower setups, it almost seems like every piece of the park can get utilized at one point or another. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Rafterum has really changed a lot of that too. You know, like I always thought there had to be, you know, this big distance in between stuff. And if you watch anything Raft does, there's so much stuff just everywhere. And I think I've really learned a lot from that kid. And you'll see a lot of stuff coming out of this place like that. Hey, so how much do you have to travel now for wakeboarding? And I know that back in the day when you were living in the hood, uh, you you were on the road all the time. But is like Area 52? keep you at home more now um yeah definitely the past two years you know like last year building this place i didn't go anywhere i maybe flew you know i did the premieres like the the debut just came out so i flew out for all those premieres so i definitely travel but nothing like i used to and this year i finally started traveling getting back into things because now the place is up and running i don't have to be here every day trying to hammer it out myself you know like if i would have hired someone it would have been different but what about what about as far as if people want to come out here? I'm sure you get this question all the time, but how how do you get to ride Area 52? You can't. <laughs> no. Uh, well, you know, Lidberg had that open invitation to those smack talkers on Alliance when your stairs at it came out. Yeah, you know, that was like the beginning, the first little piece that came out and people were, you know, talking crap on it, which is kind of funny to me because it's like, this is the beginning. You guys don't even know. You've never even been here. Like, well, and the thing is, is as I walked it when I got here, and the water's high, so a lot of it's covered up right now mm-hmm. compared to when that stairs video came out. And it is a big setup. It is a big, gnarly setup. Yeah, even when you come in here and look from the one end, it doesn't look that big. And then as soon as you start walking on the stairs, it's like, okay. And everybody says that, and they step on it. So it's it's almost too gnarly, though, to let public or anyone ride it you know like even with the waivers i have and stuff i just don't want to take the chance and i don't want it to be played out i want to keep it for me and my friends and everyone that help you know so how do how does that affect you when you read i you had to have read the stuff those guys were saying about you on uh on alliance and i mean it, it was rude and hurtful and i mean but at the end of the day i mean you're you're a strong canadian guy but what like how did that affect you um honestly it pushed me more to do more stuff you know like i made more rails like that next day i was out here building like i'll show these idiots right um but it it doesn't really bug me too much you know i've been doing this for so long and understand there's gonna be people like that i think they're better and whatnot but i know most of the time those kids are some kook at a cable park who can't do nothing so it doesn't even bother me a hater's gonna hate right hater's gonna hate and if it is pro riders and stuff whatever just bring it (laughs) like why can't you guys just put your name on it right yeah you put that's one thing i wish alliance would change is that it's like connected to your facebook so i know who it is so i can be like oh yeah come out here let's see it (laughs) or oh yeah you're never invited out here again buddy yeah exactly (laughs) i know that uh off the mic we had been chatting a little bit about um you perhaps putting an event out here uh what what is your ideal event well, Shredtown basically set the bar for the coolest event, I think, you know, doing, you know, only video, photo, media kind of stuff and only to the riders, no public people. And it just gets too gnarly with public and people are looking for that quick second reaction. And I think showing the gnarliest stuff and working harder and making it look better for video and media and everything, I think is a lot cooler to me. 
I just, I don't know. I just the the heat of the moment is fun and cool, but there's just not enough. Um, I guess like getting people out here too would be too hard. You know, there's just not enough viewing area. There's not enough way for me to like house everybody out here. You know, it'd be pretty sure. hard to do. So you're not saying that having events in front of large crowds is over. You're just saying there's certain events that need. Yeah, you know, like Wake the Line is like the perfect example. That's how an event should be, like people on both sides and just people everywhere, and that's cool. But when you go to like some little town where no one's there and you put an event on and then the sponsors go, oh, there's no one here. It's like, well, yeah, because I'm in a little town, so why wouldn't I just put that money into more media and whatnot to spread it for well, then you can make the heats longer and give more people more opportunities to actually put down their best instead of saying hey you've got one shot at it yeah exactly you know it creates a better vibe too when everybody's out here camping like the shred town's the coolest thing i've ever been to like their jamboree was so fun everybody was it was like free riding and at the end of the day we we're like oh we won stuff so now did you compete yeah i did actually and how did you <laughs> i I did okay the first day, and then second day in practice, I separated my ribs on their pool gap, which sucked. So I was out the rest of the time. So I was just the beer drinker guy around the property. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to do it, right? Somebody's got to do it. And, and you're pretty darn good at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good at it. I had Brenton to help, but he was still riding. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure it was after the competition. Yeah, right? yeah. We'll, we'll say that. <laughs> so, what is hashtag permication? It's just something I started with all my buddies at the house, you know, like we just rode in front of the house all the time and everybody was traveling and had no care in the world. You know, it was before this place even started and it basically means it's a permanent vacation. You know, that's what everybody wants to live that dream, right? And somehow I am and so I decided to go with it. And So who's all a part of permacation? Um, I mean, is it like the permacation posse? No, not really. Permacation, we, I didn't want to do it like that. I just wanted to be like, you know, whoever wants to be involved, whoever wants to be, do live that lifestyle, do it. Like, that's why it's a hashtag and anybody can put it on their thing. It's, it's a lifestyle, right? It's not a crew. It's nothing, you know? Sure. So, um, have people approached you to build their wake parks? Yeah, I've actually had quite a few people ask me for design for rails and their parks and things like that and I always get the random phone call of how wide should I do this and that. And what do you do? Do you are you giving out the information? Are you going over to people's places and 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 helping them out? Um, not too much helping out yet, but I'm definitely going to get into that. But you know, if anybody needs the information, I'm down to do it because the more places there is, the better. Like, I want this sport to grow so big, and I want the next generation of kids to be able to make ten times more money and be able to have way more fun and the things that. You know, you see in snowboarding now, like, that's how advanced it's going to be in 10 years from now or five years, you know, like, wakeboarding's blowing up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very cool to see all the new parks that are growing out here. I mean, I heard there's, I don't really know what the statistic is, but it's it's something crazy with the amount of new, like, two-tower parks that are opening, like, like a, what, a new one every day or something like that around the world? Yeah, I'm not sure, the like, the exact amount, but... It's pretty crazy to see how many people are getting into it and, you know, even talking to Liquid Forest on our boards and stuff and they sell more park boards than boat boards, like, by far, like over 50% more. Now, and speaking of Liquid Forest, you've been with them for a long time and you were one of the first guys to actually start getting one of those 
those hybrid cross between boat slash park boards and I've got your board sitting on me right now. What is this? Is this still on that same idea, both boat and and park, or is this more park uh, oriented? Um, it I've made it for both. You know, like a boat's always going to be in my blood. Like that's how I got into this industry, and I'll never get away from or have anything bad to say about it or anything. You know, like it's so I want something where if I want to go ride boat, I can, but I want something that's really good on cable. So you can say it's a little bit more specific for the cable, but I definitely, you know, when I rode it boat for the past three years before, it was, you know, no problems there. Sure. Now, Hotel Henny, this is, it's it's what your house in Claremont has been referred to a lot over the last, I don't know, how, how long have you been there? Eight years? Ten years? Yeah, I bought it when I was 21 and I'm 29 now, so yeah, eight, yeah, eight, eight years. Eight years. So Hotel Henny has hosted some of the biggest names in the sport. You did go through a time when Hotel Henny basically only housed wake skaters. Yeah. It seemed like you were developing the world of wake skating well, for a while. There. I'm going to blame that one on Silas, definitely. You know, he's a big wake skater dude and all his buddies, and I became friends with him, and it got to the point where I almost liked wake skaters better than wakeboarders for a bit. Well, you've been a, you've been a guy who, over the last few years, have given guys who are looking for a chance, their foot in the door, a place to, to sleep, to to lay their heads down, and... You know, I know you've do, you've given people some great deals at your place. You know, it's not like you're uh, ro- you know robbing people or shaking them down for tons of money. Yeah, that's a, never been my type of thing. You know, like I just wanted to have fun with as many people as I can. I've always been like that. The more, the merrier, right? Like, I'm not trying to take anything from anybody and to see new talent come up. You know, like having Steel and all those guys live with me, and to see where they're at now, it's it's a cool thing to see them evolve and see myself evolve and but now they all call me dad and stuff it's kind of embarrassing right well better than grandpa right <laughs> better than grandpa so as you go on to the next steps of your life and and you know t- tie the knot and everything do you still foresee yourself having that same open door policy um i will she probably won't have as much but no we definitely you know like having the house that i do i got really lucky to have the basement downstairs and you know bunk bedrooms and all that stuff and that'll never go away that's always i'm the type of guy i'd love to host uh, you know barbecuing and drinking with buddies and riding out here and you know that'll that'll never stop that's part of me my dad's the same way what about out here at area 52 you uh you ever gonna make the move out to the property no i like to look at it as work but it's really not but It's the the office. (laughs) I like to come to the office and go home. It's your permanent vacation office. Yeah, exactly. So what's in the future for you? I'm just going to keep filming and building stuff, you know, like my head and my little black book of designs and it's never ending. But I think next year I'm going to do a lot more contests. I was going to this year and I kept getting hurt, you know, my ribs and slipped my wrist open. It's been a bad year for injuries, but next year... Hopefully everything stays solid, you know, I'm eating healthier and yoga and running and all that stuff. So it's definitely helping me uh, get more motivation to actually do good in a contest again. So what's the, what would you say is the future of wakeboarding in as a whole? Not necessarily the future of Kevin Henshaw and wakeboarding, the wakeboarding industry. I really hope it gets bigger than what it is. You know, there's a lot of things I see that concern me with uh you know sponsors and them not paying as much anymore and 
or like you know like giving this kid a little this kid a little instead of focusing on the whole scheme of things and trying to make it bigger so everybody can make more money and i think these people are definitely like uh like sponsors are definitely pinching the penny on some of these riders and athletes that should get more money and you know this is our life so i just hope it see it go better than that but on the big like the riding scheme of things i'd see it getting really gnarly it's uh just watching raf and daniel and these kids coming up just shredding just making me quiver when i watch them ride you know and i just i can see it coming with the new kids r- watching them ride it's gonna be big very cool man henny dude i want to thank you so much for for inviting me out here to area 52 this place is is so rad and Although I would say a majority of this place is too gnarly for me, I could probably ride that kicker on my shoe skis. Did you bring them? I didn't bring them today because oh, I, I, I knew I knew if I did, then I'd probably have to go off it. So. Uh, but but well, next time. Next time, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out, man. I really appreciate it. It's always good to see your face and hang out and have a chat. Dude, congratulations on this. This is just, I, I never thought that, I mean, who would have thought that the, the little kid that, Moved down to the hood, we kind of took under our wing, but he was still on our same level. Man, would have this today. You guys taught me so many bad things. Oh, <laughs> you know, Henny, I could I could turn the uh, tables around on you and say the same exact thing. Because, I know, but if I say it, I feel a lot better about myself. Well, <laughs> you Canadian kids always come down and seem to be a little bit more advanced. So an 18-year-old is usually kind of equivalent to a 21-year-old here in the States, right? Exactly. Sort of. Exactly. So any shout-outs to sponsors or families you want to want to do before we go? Uh, definitely my mom and dad and my sister and my fiancé and uh, Liquid Force, Monster. You know, have, without those two, this place wouldn't be possible. They helped me get it to where it is, and I'm really thankful for that. And then especially Von Zipper and everybody who's been behind my back for a long time. Very cool. How about uh, social media uh, or links so the listeners can find you or see more about Area 52? Uh, yeah, if you wanted to see anything, it's just at Kevin Henshaw for Instagram and Twitter, and then uh, Kevin Henshaw slash, or Facebook slash Kevin Henshaw. Beautiful. Easy. Yeah, super easy. Skinny Hanny, Kevin Henshaw. Trying to do it. That's right. Well, thanks again, my friend. Guys, we are here on location at Area 52. This has been an awesome afternoon. I'm sure for those of you guys listening, you could hear the locusts and the cicadas buzzing, maybe a little bit of wind, maybe you heard some of the riders showing up. But uh, once again, you will be seeing a lot more of this guy, Kevin Henshaw, and of course his spot, the one and only Area 52 over the next few months, and I guarantee you that. Hang tight, listeners. We're going to be back in just about one minute to close things out here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Nothing's better than paddling with friends and enjoying a day on the water. And that's why you need to check out Hungry Boards SUP. Hungry Boards go the extra mile and are passionate about their work and the sport of paddle boarding. They strive to create stronger, higher quality boards at a better value. Hungry Boards are designed to provide performance and stability to help keep you hungry for the enjoyment of SUP. Be sure to like them on Facebook and check them out at www.hungryboardssup.com. Hungry Boards, real boards for real people. Recording at Area 52 was a lot of fun, and it was really nice to catch up with Kevin Henshaw. And he's so talented on the water, and he's proved it over the last 15 years. 
his transformation to park rider and builder has been very cool, and I think Henshaw will have a long career in the industry, whether he's riding or just building some of the most fun features to hit on the water. It was pretty awesome reliving some of our old memories, but especially hearing about his early days breaking onto the scene. Henshaw was a great guest, but I have to admit I can't wait till the next time he hosts a party because it's going to be a rager. What do you guys think of the show? Let me know. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. Please shoot me a note through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page and please don't forget to give us a like. Again, I'm on Twitter. Follow me at the Dano T. Mano and at the golden underscore Mike. I'm also on Instagram and you all know it. Shoot me that follow at Dano T. Mano. Thank you, Kevin Henshaw, Skinny Henny, and now a few shout outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to Performance Ski and Surf and PerfSki.com, Hydra Fenders, Hungry Boards SUP, Woodrow's, Jammy Pack, Sea Deck Marine Products, GoPuck, Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan of the Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.